This is the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blank, episode 100. Let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Blanc. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the show. My name is Michael Blanc. I'm excited you're here to learn about apartment building investing and financial freedom. Today, I'm really excited to share the story of Scott Price. Scott is just about, as the time of this podcast airs, will have quit his job with real estate, specifically with apartment building investing. And he talks about how he did that. And he, he talks about the main challenges we had, which, which is money and experience. Those are two main things that hold most people back about the idea of investing in apartment buildings and how he overcame that and how he thinks he could have accelerated that. And this is really the purpose of what we're doing here with the podcast is helping you accelerate your plan of financial freedom, whatever that means for you. So I love these stories and I never grow tired of them. And I figured the more of these stories I, I share with you, that maybe the more it sinks in that, yes, you can quit your job. Yes, you can secure your retirement with real estate. And yes, it is actually with apartment buildings is the way to do it. So without further ado, let's get into Scott's story right now. Hey, Scott, welcome to the show today. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate you having me on board. I've listened to every single one of your podcasts, so it's an honor to be here. Well, by the time this podcast airs, you will have quit your full-time job. And what I want to know, what the listeners want to know is, how did you do it, right? So I want you to start kind of in the beginning. When you were even started ruminating about real estate investing, what was going on in your life and what caused you to even think about something like real estate? Yeah, going back, actually, it even goes back to after college. And I had one of those, what do I want to do with my life kind of moments. And also had the advice of, okay, if you live your life well and you look back on your life, you know, what do you want to have done and what do you not want to have done? Yeah, where, where do you want to spend your time? When I was doing that, uh, surprise, surprise, a uh, nine to five job was not in my big vision goal thing. <laughs> so it was not a part of it. It was a means to an end, but at the same time, that was not a big priority. So I actually now, and for a number of years, I've had a vision board and I've had goals and I have daily goals and things like that. But even at that point, what I did was I, I researched and I said, okay, well, how are people making wealth that they can live off of and making steady income that they can live off of? And of course, all the stuff that I see in the media and everything, and it always glorifies people who are, you know, I would call them the one-shot wonders. You know, everybody wants to be Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg, but at the same time, uh, there's very few people who actually get those opportunities or make those opportunities. But one thing I consistently kept finding was people who might not be household names, but people who did very well with real estate. And I really liked the fact that it was very tangible. And if you really educated yourself and worked hard, it's something that you could actually become wealthy at or you could build wealth as well as income. So that put me on the path. The listeners might not know this. They're not watching this, this video somewhere, but you have a few decades of experience and work experience under your belt. And it sounds like you were thinking about this a long, long time ago. Now, the obvious question is, Scott, when did you actually start taking action? Because there seems to be like several decades between what you just described mm -hmm. and today. So what happened in that long period of time? And when did you actually start taking action? Yeah. And why was there such a long delay? 
Yeah. I mean, what's the matter with you, Scott? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I can actually point to a specific event. I bought a condo. I lived in it. I moved into a house, kept the condo as a rental. I had a good renter. That was great. I had a bad renter. It was bad. And I sold it. And I said, this real estate thing sucks. So I got into day trading and stocks and all this kind of stuff, trying to find other things. I got basically distracted is what happened. And I did that for quite a while. But real estate just kept coming back to me. And then finally, years later, I finally said, okay, the aha, the thing that I missed was, you know, I can hire somebody called a property manager and I can hire them to be between me and the bad tenant and uh, have to deal with that particular scenario. And they earn every penny when they do it. And as soon as I realized that one simple thing, all the other parts of real estate I loved, but that one part of dealing with people who are lying and difficult to deal with, there are professionals who do that. And then I got back into it. And ever since then, we've been steadily expanding our portfolio. You were exposed to real estate early on. You saw people were successful with it. You tried it, kind of got burned a little bit and said, this thing is not for me. Now, mm -hmm. I know you shared with me earlier that you and your wife created a vision board just a few years ago. Mm -hmm. So what was going on in your life at the time that required you and your wife to sit down and even create this vision board? It was all about the, the whys of why we are getting into real estate or why we're in real estate and really what we wanted to do with our lives. And we live in a place called Whidbey Island. It's northwest of Seattle. We wanted to do a lot more family time, a lot more travel. I'm interested in writing a book. I've actually already have one in, in process. We have a lot of hobbies and things like that. Again, they were all oriented to having flexibility in our life. Not that we wouldn't do any work, but you know, we would work, but at the same time, work on our own time and for our own business, not for somebody else. So real estate was the path for that. Well, why couldn't you do what you wanted to do with your job? I mean, it's possible for people to build in flexibility in their job. Why didn't that not work for you? Well, for one thing, I can build a lot more net worth through real estate than I can through my job. So that, that's one thing. And then and I can get to the point where I can essentially, quote, retire early, which is you know basically where I'm at now. Although I want to continue building the business, but it's because I enjoy it and because it's fun and because there's bigger things I want to do in life. We really wanted to have more time. We really want to do a lot of travel. For instance, we want to, during the summers when my daughter is off of school, we'd like to go for a month to another country and stay there and check our emails every once in a while and call the property manager and then go another month and then she goes back to school. That's the kind of stuff you can't really do for a regular job. Regular jobs didn't have the sense of satisfaction either. I've worked at good companies and worked with good people, but at the same time, it was always you know working for a, a nameless shareholder kind of thing instead of really growing something for me and my family. Well, you're right. The stuff you're describing right now is very difficult to do with a regular job. So yeah, I totally get that. You, you definitely wanted to control your time in a, in a really big way. Mm -hmm. uh, I like the fact that you sat down with your spouse uh, to kind of do this vision board. And when you guys were sitting down, you were obviously designing this future life and you were thinking real estate. What strategy were you thinking of at the time when you guys creating a vision board? Did you have a particular real estate strategy in mind? And what did that look like initially? Yes, uh, it was two parts. Number one, we were focusing initially primarily on multifamily. We've since expanded to some office and retail as well. We still primarily focus on multifamily. And then the other aspect to it was doing a graduated approach where three years ago, my wife left her job and she's been full time in our business. And that helped us continue to grow. And it also it took some of the time constraints off of me from working two jobs. And then now we're at the point we're comfortable enough and we, we feel you know confident enough. We were basically a little bit conservative. I think if I think if I listened to your podcast earlier, I probably would have left my job earlier. <laughs> but, <laughs> but anyhow, well, 
I wish I listened to my own podcast a long, long time ago, right? So we're making up for lost time. Exactly. I find you interesting. You skipped a step here. A lot of people really experience single family house investing for a number of years before realizing that, my gosh, multifamily would have been the better path Mm -hmm. right from the start. And the reason really is because, my gosh, they feel it's an advanced strategy. Let me build up some experience and I'll take the excess cash and reinvest it in the multifamily where I really want Mm -hmm. to be. Why did you skip that? In other words, why did you think you could go right into multifamily? Yeah, it was a bit of a bold move because my very first acquisition was a 29-unit apartment complex. Pretty big complex, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, except for that little short period with the condo years before, I jumped right into it. What it amounted to was I was, I would say, book smart, meaning I did not have real experience, but I had education. And frankly, that's, I'm not saying that's enough, but at the same time, I, I took the, I'm going to learn on the job, you know, kind of thing. I know I don't know everything, but at the same time, I knew enough to feel confident that I wasn't getting into a, a big hole or anything like that. And I had a really good property manager that I had hired. So I knew it wasn't just me doing the management directly. I actually, how I got the initial funds to do it was I did a unique, it was very unusual development deal on my own personal home property. And I basically doubled the value of that property. And in doing that, I sold it. It was actually during the last run-up, the last cycle coming up and when everything was selling hot and everything. Then what I did was instead of going, woohoo, I've got all this money and I'm going to trade up and get a fancy home, we actually traded down. We went to a a lower quality home, lower quality neighborhood, but I had the down payment to put down on a 29-unit apartment complex and that got me on the road. And I still have that same property. It's cash flowing really well right now. I'm taking money out of it to buy another property You know, from refinancing it. So It's one of those things, you know, ride the inflation train and it'll serve you well, even though there were some bumps initially because I had just minimal experience at first. Right. So somehow you got past a comfort zone that most people can't get past. So I'm going to ask you about that in a second. But then you also made a pretty bold move, which is to downsize. Now, most Americans, the idea of downsizing is so unacceptable because we get so used to a certain lifestyle. The idea of reducing a lifestyle is very un-American, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm impressed with, with that. You were clearly committed to that. Why were you so committed to that, do you think? I mean, obviously, your spouse must have been on, on the same page with you. And, you know, just because you want to downsize doesn't mean that your spouse actually wants to share your, you know, insanity. Why were you guys so committed to that that resulted in you downsizing your, your house? Yeah, well, she and I saw the long-term vision of where we were going with it. And we got to a point where we said, okay, well, we understand how this, meaning the real estate investing business over time, can actually be our primary and only source of income. To do it, we have to do something. You know, It's not like we started out with a whole bunch of money in our pockets and we were just throwing it around everywhere. I did this one thing with our property. It got us started and we're both fairly minimal in terms of our needs. You know, we always buy used cars for cash, and we're not uh, we're not spending a bunch of stuff. But that said, like right now, we're doing things where I, I'm building a what I consider to be a very nice, modern, fancy home on the waterfront on Puget Sound. So I've gotten to the point now where I can do those kinds of things, but it's only because. I have the resources through real estate, you know, to do it. And we knew at that point that it's not that it comes for free. So when you decided you're going to do multifamily, you're sitting there doing a vision board and you're like, okay, my strategy is going to be multifamily. What were your initial hangups? What were your challenges that you were dealing with after you decided you were going to pursue this? The main thing I had to initially work through was the one that I mentioned about property management. And that one I worked through pretty quickly and just realized that the importance of team 
in real estate is really key. In this case, property manager being an important component, but also other people. The mistake that I made early on was I was trying to do everything. I was the classic, you know, tenants, trash and toilets kind of thing and, and do all of it myself. And I didn't even really initially realize that you don't have to do that. The only things that I will buy are properties that pencil with all of the support in there that I need. And that's also the only way to really scale my business. We do not yet, we probably will at some point, we, we do not yet have any employees. And that's been intentional, actually. We like to work through others who have their own system, have their own employees, and uh, we basically hold them accountable. That was the main thing I had to work through at first. The other thing was just thinking about how would I scale using my own funds. And what I did over time was I got very creative with a number of things, either selling and buying or using my 401k or actually having a property and then saying, okay, well, I'm going to do a cash out refi and saving and all these kinds of things that over time let us grow our portfolio. And now we're at the point where we're going to be getting into syndication. There's always two problems with multifamily. One is the experience part and the other one is the cash part because you require a little bit more cash. Again and again, the people who get started just get creative with that aspect of it, right? So there are people who says, hey, you know what? I bought a quad and moved my family in one, in one of the units. Uh, I took out a VA loan. I borrowed for my 401k. I did a refinance, right? Or I raised the money for it. I brought in a partner or I did it with my father-in-law, right? The point is you start getting creative. Even though I espouse, you know, raising money because that's available to everybody, there's other ways to do it. The point is not, can I do it? It's how can I do it? And you and your wife sitting around going, not can I do it? But you're like, how do I do it? What can I do? And I love that because it's a, such a, an attitude of, yes, I can. I just don't exactly know how. I love that. And that's a common theme with almost everyone that has quit their job with real estate is become creative on the financing side. How did you overcome the lack of apparent experience? I think a lot of things that we hear a lot is because I don't have a track record, no one takes me seriously. How did you address that or overcome that? Initially, it was primarily through pointing to the people that I was working with. So the, again, the team, that was a big part of it. The other part of it was that I could, even before I had properties, I could speak intelligently, so to speak, about what I was actually doing in terms of you know, real estate investing and the particular markets and the buildings and inspections and, and everything. That really helped a lot, even just be able to, to have the lingo and have an understanding of it, have a technical understanding of it, also have an understanding of just the mechanics of how it works. It all helps to have actually done it, no doubt about it. But at the same time, there's a lot of that you can learn through either mentoring or books or classes or you know seminars or things like that to at least get started and at least to, to sound like you can walk the walk and talk the talk. Right. So lack of experience you overcame with two things. One is educating yourself, being able to speak the lingo. So you don't sound like an idiot. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you brought up twice now team, which is very, very important. It's all about your team, right? So if you don't have the experience, then don't talk about yourself. Talk about in terms of your property manager who manages 5,000 units. Exactly. Right. And so you brought that up twice. And I think that's a, a real key takeaway for the listeners here thinking about how do I overcome the experience as well. So let's talk about your first deal, this 29 unit. How did you find it? Now, we already know how, kind of how you finance it, but tell us a little bit more about the deal, how you found it, and a little bit about it, and what you did with it. Sure, sure. Yeah, this one, actually, the funny thing is this one was actually on the MLS, so it wasn't some... You know, That's rare. Exactly. Unusual. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, it wasn't something that was magically hidden somewhere. It was in a market that we had looked at and we were interested in, so check that box. 
and then started looking at, okay, it's the approximate size, it, it matched the amount of down payment we had, things like that. So we were looking in a certain range. Basically, I was looking to go as big as I could with the down payment I had. The main thing that I had to do was to be very aware of the capital requirements that were needed after purchase. And, you know, for instance, on that complex, just in roofs alone, there was a $100,000 bill after buying. So, and again, at that point, it was just me. So, you know, I had to make sure that I saved some money from that, those initial funds. And and I was really ready to invest in the property and bring it up to a better quality level, which was really our plan. And we did that. It was an okay property and we've made it better than an okay property. Now It, it has a better tenant base and the whole infrastructure in the place is much better than it was when we purchased it. So it sounds like you did some work on it. What was the mm-hmm. opportunity? In other words, what condition was it in? What were the rents or the expenses? And what opportunity did you see in it? And what did you actually then do? What was your business plan to create value? Yeah, yeah. It was mostly uh, up-leveling the perception of the property in the community. It actually didn't have a very good reputation. And there was an opportunity there to essentially rebrand it and to show, okay, new sheriff in town in terms of the property manager, both from the perspective of taking it seriously and not letting people slide on their responsibilities and paying the uh, the lease and the, the rent and all that. But on top of that, a new sheriff in town in terms of taking care of the place and being responsive to tenants and you know just painting the place and putting in a new parking lot that had take care of the potholes and all that kind of stuff. And it took a little while because it did have a reputation as a place that people who needed to go to a place where they needed to have a cheap short-term place to stay that they could just get in and very little credit check and stuff like that. That's the place it was. It's not that anymore. Uh, That's awesome. Now, what has happened between that first deal and and you now quitting your job? I know you mentioned earlier you got into some other asset classes. What have you kind of done since then that has allowed you to be where you are now? We've been opportunistic. And what I mean by that is we really jump around a bit within Washington. All of our properties are currently within Washington state. We have done some out-of-state investing, but we're primarily in-state at the moment. But at the same time, we're pretty dispersed in terms of uh, where we're at, where we're not in any particular town. And most of our properties are not a 15-minute drive from where we live kind of thing, usually within about a four-hour drive of where we live. It might as well be out of state at that point, right? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. You're exactly right. And actually, that is why we did uh, some out-of-state investing. And we're going to be doing some more in the future, exactly for what you said. For instance, one of my properties, it's a smaller property, but one of them, I'm so confident in the property manager and they send us pictures and all this kind of stuff. And this particular one, I haven't even been there for a couple of years and it's only two hours away. (laughs) So, you know, if you have a good team, you can live anywhere. Yeah. The team is so important. So I'm curious, the time you decided you're going to do multifamily until this moment, how much time has elapsed? It's been a good bit of time since the very beginning. So it's been about 12 years since the very first one. And then the past few years, we've gotten more serious about it and uh, just saying, okay, we've really, really said, okay, let's start purchasing some bigger stuff. Let's start really getting on the track of me leaving my W2 nine to five job. And like I said, a few years ago, my wife actually did leave her job. We notched it up a level about three years ago. So you mentioned you're going to go after some bigger one syndication. What's next for you guys? 
we're actively looking to buy at the moment. And of course, it's a little bit harder market because it's a seller's market right now, but especially in the Seattle area. But at the same time, there are opportunities out there. We, we just bought another complex just a couple months ago, and we're, we're looking for our next couple uh, right now. And we're really realizing that to grow the business, even though we've done it organically, meaning we've rolled our profits forward and we've used the fact that we had a job to cover all of our expenses. So everything we made from real estate investing, we just rolled back into it. It never paid the bills. It always was reinvested back into more real estate. But to grow even more, we're now at the point of getting into syndication. I've had a number of investors who have approached me and they've heard about my deals and my properties and all that. And and they've come to me. I haven't come to them. They've come to me and they've said, hey, we'd love to invest with you. And that's when it really, really the light bulb went on top of my head and said, okay, I need to stop being so conservative and I need to give my resignation letter at work. <laughs> I, need, I need to move on. Yeah. Well, you've done your first deal and all of a sudden you become a, a deal and money magnet. You can't mm -hmm. help it. That is true. That is true. It is interesting how it snowballs. And Especially if you have some success, you know, being able to point to some success helps. It's not mandatory, but at the same time, it certainly helps. And then just being able to be able to really understand real estate and, and understand also what investors want, what they're looking for, it really helps. Yeah, I just find that first deal is so pivotal. It's like this giant domino. It's kind of hard to push over, takes the mm. longest. But once you push it over, everything else just kind of falls and things actually become easy. So it's that first deal that's really hard, right? But then everything else just kind of falls. I don't know. Did you have a similar experience? Uh, yes. And the only thing that held me back at that point was uh, I was too conservative, basically. Mm. And that's why that first one was so long ago. Again, I think if I listened to your podcast, I, I, I would have uh, left my job uh, a long time ago. I wish everybody wishes they bought more in 2009, 2011, you know, that kind of time frame. But in that time frame, which was when I was starting to gradually ramp up just using my own funds, that would have been such a perfect time to have gotten into syndication and done this full time. And, you know, if there was any regret, it would be that I didn't do that. And uh, I should have just gone full time. And I, I didn't, you know, but now well, I am. On, on that note, if you had the opportunity to travel back in time and speak to your younger self, mm -hmm. when would you travel back and what would you tell yourself? I would go back to before college. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And because I really wish that I bought more, bought more aggressively and just jumped in. And I also wish that I, I gave myself the advice of don't worry about that one little tenant in that one condo to derail me for years afterwards, just thinking that that's representative of the entire business. There's such an advantage to time, especially if you're a buy and hold like I am. If you're a flipper, then you're just kind of constantly churning. But if you're buy and hold, generally riding the inflation train, it becomes more and more of a snowball over time. If I had purchased these kinds of properties back then, I'd be in an even better shape, you know, far better shape than I am right now. So I just say start early, start big, jump in, be serious about it. It's funny, sometimes things happen and we learn the wrong lesson from something. Sometimes we learn the right lesson. But in this case, your lesson seemed to be real estate, bad. No more real estate, right? right. And so sometimes we take away the, the wrong lesson. It takes a long time to kind of get back and go, oh my gosh, that actually wasn't the lesson at all. It was something different. And the other thing you said earlier is that you, you felt you were too conservative after that first deal. What was your hang up there on being too conservative? What, what was that all about? I really initially was not familiar with a syndication. So I was limited by my own funds. That's really what it boiled down to. 
I purchased that property. And then I was starting to do what I was mentioning where I was, where could I use money for my 401k and where could I save and things like that. And that worked and I, and I gradually built, but it was very gradual. If I was more familiar with OPM, other people's money and syndication, I would have started them. Absolutely. It was just really a lack of awareness now, and if, a lack of education at that time. So if someone would have come to you at that point after the 29 minutes and said, Scott, nice job. You know what? What's next? Uh, and you would say, well, I don't know yet. I got to get the money together. Someone would have said, you know what, Scott, you know you could raise money? You're like, no. Yeah, here's how you do it. Would that have changed things for you? It would have absolutely changed things for me. And I, I would have been more on three years, you're, you're out of your regular job and full-time real estate investing. I'm pretty positive I would have been more on that track at that time. Like I mentioned, we got more on that track a few years ago and here I am. <laughs> so. I had the light bulb moment way, way late in my life as well. We're trying to change that, right? Because it's like, you know what? This is actually possible. You can do this. People are going to go, really? Well, that's amazing. Absolutely. And it just fast tracks everything, right? Not that 29 units is anything to sneeze at, but you could have bought six months later, you could have bought something else, a 55 unit or whatever the case may be. Sometimes things happen that shift your mind. You're like, oh my gosh. I didn't know that was possible. So syndication is kind of next for you. What, what are your main challenges there? Is there something that scares you? Something you feel like is challenging you that you feel you might be struggling with? Nothing scares me about it. The only thing is, of course, then I'm, I'm the steward of other people's money and that's a significant responsibility. So I haven't had that. I've been responsible for my own, which is fine. And uh, fortunately, all my projects have done well and I've got a solid track record there. But at the same time, it does raise the bar on things. So that's the main thing. It, it doesn't change my approach or anything like that, but that is a uh, always a concern. I, I want to make sure that I take care of other people's money you know, well. The other aspect to it is that now I'll be looking at larger properties because most of my properties have been in the 20 to 40 unit range, except for the office buildings and things like that. When we get into syndication, we'll be looking at larger stuff. So there'll be a little bit of a new world, even though a lot of it translates to that as well. So you said you're concerned, and I think concern is healthy. I think what's unhealthy is fear, right? Being afraid of using other people's money. You should always have a concern using other money because you're freaking responsible for it. So you better have a concern, but it can't paralyze you. Absolutely. And a lot of people are paralyzed by the idea of taking other people's money, especially friends and family money, and potentially losing it. And that is unhealthy because fear paralyzes you. So I like the fact that you said concern because concern is, is healthy. Yes, <laughs> You should have a responsibility. Now, you have a coughing with an acquaintance and you're telling them about what's going on right now. He's like, you know, you're not going to believe it. I'm going to quit my job. And they're like, no way. Tell me how you did that. And you start telling them how you did that. What would be your advice to that person who wants to do what you want to do? I do get asked that question. So, and it's almost exactly the, the scenario you painted there. You share a coffee, you're out somewhere and, and they ask. There are several different ways to do it. If somebody wants to just get started, I would recommend, I've recommended this to a number of people, if they're willing to do something where they have to give a little bit, kind of like we did, it wasn't a big deal, but you know, we went down in quality level in the neighborhood and the house and all that kind of stuff. Similarly, for instance, if you don't have many family commitments, or if it's just you and your wife, you don't have kids, or even if you do have kids, if you can get into a situation where maybe you live on a property, you buy a property, even if you do a fourplex and you live in one of them, uh, you know, just something to get yourself started is so important because if you're just sitting there waiting for something to happen, it's not going to happen. <laughs> so you got you to make it happen. 
can think about your lifestyle, especially with the rise in value of most homes across the entire country right now. If you've got some equity in your house and if you're serious about this, think about how you can redeploy that just on your own. And if you get the either the training or the knowledge where you actually feel confident enough to actually use other people's money, and maybe you're not going to do some massive project, I would certainly recommend looking into it, especially if you had a good team again. You could also do that and you could use some of your money to participate and then some other people's money as well. So it's mostly a matter of really having mindset of doing it because so many people show up that I see it in clubs and meetups and things like that. And the next year, they, they're still taking notes, but they still don't own any property. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. And this mindset thing comes off frequently. You're right. A lot of people just kind of keep taking notes and are not taking action. Yep. And I, I think you're right. Even if we take small, little action, it's still action. And you start building that that momentum towards a different direction. So that's a really good point. Scott, what are you really excited about right now? Well, I'm excited about uh, growing our business. I'm excited about being in it full time and not just having to do it on the evenings and the weekends. I'm excited about actually spending more time with my family and also my hobbies. And so it'll be really nice. We're still going to work during the day, but for the first time in years, at night and on the weekends, I actually will have more flexibility than I did before. So that's a really good feeling. We're also doing some things in the community. Another fun thing that I'm doing right now is I'm using some of the profits from some of my recent deals, and I'm actually creating a privately funded community park. And it's going to be a sculpture park. So we're really excited about that. And it'll be near where we live. Now getting into the point where we can do some fun, fun projects like that. Well, it's fabulous. Congratulations, Scott. And I find that your brain, like 95% of your brain is filled up with work stuff. And then when you take it away, all of a sudden there's this vacuum and you're like, oh my gosh, what do I fill it with? And you get all these cool ideas that you would never even have considered before. And that's what I really, I think is so powerful about, you know, being financially free and controlling your time. So congratulations again. How do people connect with you if they want to? Sure. You can uh, go to my website, which is bonvolo.com. That's B-O-N as in November, V as in Victor, O-L-O.com. Or you can reach me directly at scott at bonvolo.com. And that's S-C-O-T-T at bonvolo.com. Awesome. Well, listen, I want to thank you for coming to the show and sharing your experience because I know it will inspire others to do the same. So thanks again. Well, thank you, Michael. I appreciate it. You know, this topic of introspection reflection and developing self-awareness keeps popping up in some of these guests. Like, I don't know, if you listen to these podcasts for, for any amount of time, you try to figure out what are the common themes here? I mean, what's different about these guys that have quit their job with apartment buildings or real estate in general? I mean, why do they do it? And how can I do it? And I'm certainly studying that because I'm trying to pass on the, the blueprint, the formula for you guys to do it. And one thing that keeps does keep popping up is, is this idea of reflection. And I think I talked about in the last episode a little bit is that a lot of people drift through lives. We don't actually reflect on anything because we're too busy. We're just going along with our daily lives. We don't actually sit there and reflect, hey, you know what worked well today? What didn't work so well? What goals did I achieve? What are my goals? And what do I want in my life? And we don't do enough of that. And, and I'm challenging you now to do more of that. And in the case of Scott, and by the way, he's not an isolated case, is they involve their spouses. I mean, really what you're doing is you're building the future of your family. You're building the legacy of your family. So why is this a lone sport? It shouldn't be. Right? It's a team sport. You should get your family involved involved in that. So I hope that it challenges you to start developing self-awareness. And one of the one of the disciplines that I developed probably two, I don't know, three years ago 
was this habit. And, and I just want to pass on The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. It's a great book, very popular, very action-oriented. It kind of, kind of shows you what you can do in the first 30 or 60 minutes of your day, kind of routine that you develop. And it's really changed my life because typically I don't take time out of my life to reflect on anything because I'm kind of this fast, you know, fast-paced kind of guy. I want to get stuff done. Why the heck when I take 60 minutes and just kind of be calm for a minute? And so maybe that's one thing for you to to read that book and implement that in your life. Uh, The other theme that I see more often is people just taking action. And And it drives me up a freaking wall to see, like Scott says, you see the same person, you know, taking notes a year later after you had a conversation with them and they're still attending seminars or still taking notes. Why do people do that? I don't know. I don't know why they do it. I think the cure to that is is really, like then reflecting and deciding that you want something different for your life. You want something different for you and your family. And then just taking action. Take small action, like because you start building that momentum. And I see a lot of people don't take any action. Like everybody kind of knows what they should do next. You should always like one or two or three things that that you know you could probably do next. Like you don't maybe know how you can actually do your first deal and raise money for it, but you kind of know the next couple things that you should do. Well, why don't you do those one or two different things? And then think of the next three things. Everybody can think of the next three things that's in the realm of reality and imagination. They can do the next three things. They might not be able to imagine the 21st thing, but certainly next three things. So always do the next three things. I find that's a great way to take something that's really overwhelming and boil it down to the now, to something I can do right now, this week, knock it out. And you do that long enough, and and you do this for like a couple months, you know, you just do the next three things, next three things, and you look up and you're like, holy cow, look what I've done. I've had these conversations, I've recruited this proper manager, I've looked at these deals, and you'd be amazed at what you can, what you can accomplish. So take tiny action. You always talk about massive action, forget that. Take tiny action. Take little small steps, and you build up new habits. So I hope that inspired you like all these stories do. And these are my favorite stories and people tell me that are favorite stories. But you know what? I'd really love to hear from you. And I don't direct people to the show notes uh, enough, but the show notes are always at themichaelblank.com session 100. Session whatever is the name of the podcast. This is episode number big 100. We've been doing this for for a little while, a couple of years now, a little bit longer actually. So uh, let me hear from you. Go to themichaelblank.com forward slash session 100. There's a little chat thing on there. And let me know what you think of the show, what I can do better, what you really like. All right. Uh, Also, would love it if you leave me a a review on iTunes. Love to hear from you. And while you're on the website and you haven't done so already, grab my free ebook. It's called The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building Deal. Kind of help you get over that first hurdle, which is how do I afford all this stuff? And the answer is to raise money. So I want to help you with that. Anyway, appreciate you guys' time. Thanks for listening, watching. I will catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.